Let's go ahead and turn to Zechariah 9, Zechariah 9, Old Testament prophetic book. And as I was studying this prophecy about how the Messiah would come, it just made me think all the more about horses. Um, I've, I've always been enamored with horses. I have a, a painting of horses up in my study. They're powerful. They're majestic. And I've always had a healthy fear of horses. If you've been around this church any amount of time, you hear about significant life stories of mine. And, and one of mine was growing up on our little ranch in Texas. Across the road was a bigger property that had horses. And some of these were unbroken. And um, my sister's uh, beautiful little twin girls, my parents had taken them over to this other ranch because there was a big wildflower patch. And so they had their nice little spring dresses on. And they also took our dog, our little teacup poodle named Croissant. And uh, embarrassingly, Croissant, the teacup poodle, was my dog. Uh, but I'm very secure in my manhood. And so... Croissant was in my sister's arms. My parents were taking pictures of them in these beautiful blue bonnets. And these big horses actually uh, were coming closer and closer. And little Croissant was barking at them. Now, my dad's a really big guy. He was uh, a football uh, star in our, our city. So he, he was known for his strength. And so my dad kind of throws his weight up against these horses. But he was absolutely no match for their strength. And so they push my dad out of the way. And as the dog keeps barking, one of the horses tries to kick at the dog. It misses the dog, but hits my sister square in the jaw. She flies through the air, does a backflip, and it breaks her jaw in nine places, putting her in a coma. I'll never forget us crying out as a family for God to spare my sister. Miraculously, she survived. If you saw her today, she's 38 years old. She looks beautiful. You can't tell her that happened, but she has suffered her whole life from that event. And it has instilled in us a fear, a healthy fear of the power of a horse. And so when my children spent years asking us for a, a horse and there was a, a nearby horse boarding facility and we were actually given one, man, we had fear and trepidation every time we went around this horse. We'd make our kids put on helmets anytime they got on, anytime we were working on its, its feet and cleaning its shoes. Man, we would pay it the most utmost respect because we know how strong a horse is, how powerful a horse is. A, a horse has always been a sign of strength. And so when we get to Zechariah 9, 9 through 12, that's why this verse just shouts at me how different our Messiah is than the normal earthly king or leader of a nation Look at it with me, will you, in verse 9. It says, Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. Now, you've got to understand before we jump into the, more of this text, which we're going to do momentarily, is this was crazy for a prophet to say, Rejoice! Shout out! Why? Because the time that this was written was a very hard time. It was when the people of God were in exile. 
a, a, a tyrannical army had come into their country. They had raided them, and they had destroyed the walls of Jerusalem. They had actually decimated their temple, their place of worship. They had taken many of their people off into captivity. Many of the different people were killed and mistreated. And now they're hearing this from a prophet, rejoice, rejoice. How can you rejoice in a time like this? Well, the next phrase is key to understand that. See, your king comes to you righteous and victorious. When a people are rejoicing, there is good news when there is a righteous king that is coming to rescue them. And that's what the prophet was saying. And so I'm sure they were all getting real excited about this king coming in strength and this king coming in power, more powerful than the Babylonians, more powerful than the Assyrians. So you've got to watch this next phrase because it totally catches you by surprise. It says this, lowly. Wait, a king coming lowly and riding on a donkey. Uh, wait, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. What? I will take away the chariots from Ephraim and the war horses from Jerusalem, and the battle bow will be broken, and he will proclaim peace to the nations. His rule will extend from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. As for you, because of the blood of my covenant with you, I will free your prisoners from the waterless pit. Return to your fortress, you prisoners of hope. Even now I announce that I will restore twice as much to you. So many times we think of Christmas happening, that first Christmas, in a peaceful time. But we continue to remind you that the Bible was written in times of chaos, in times of pain, in times of oppression, in times of heartache, in times of uncertainty, in times of fear. And that is what was going on when this prophecy came about. And so we look at this and we're thinking, yes, this king is coming. And how do kings come? Well, we know kings throughout the Old Testament, kings throughout history, they've come on horses. Horses are powerful. Horses are strong. Look at what the Bible says about a horse in Job 39, 19 through 25. God is asking this question. Do you give the horse its strength or clothe its neck with a flowing mane? Do you make it leap like a locust, striking terror with its proud snorting? Its paws fiercely rejoicing in its strength and charges into the fray. It laughs at fear, afraid of nothing. It does not shy away from the sword. The quiver rattles against its side along with the flashing spear and lance. In frenzied excitement, it eats up the ground. It cannot stand still when the trumpet sounds. At the blast of the trumpet, it snorts, me! Aha! If you ever wondered what a horse was saying when it neighs, it's actually saying, aha! It's right here in the Bible. It catches the scent of battle from afar, the shout of commanders in the battle cry. A horse is awesome. It's fearless. It's intimidating. It's powerful. And so this is how a king would come. This is how a king would ride into town. This is how a king would come into battle. Now, as you know, Horses aren't as common anymore. They're not the typical mode of transportation for a ruler to enter in. Uh, so let me show you. What, what do kings come in nowadays? How do they appear on the scene? Let's put this picture up. This is our century's version of a mighty horse that a king or a president would come in. This is a picture up is Air Force One. Now, as a horse has a lot of strength. 
Air Force One has 46,000 horsepower. And Air Force One is a, is a jumbo jet, but it actually, I don't know if you know the details about Air Force One. I was studying it a little this week. It is impressive. Air Force One, three stories tall. Air Force One has not just seating for people. It has an office. It has a conference room. It has a gym, just in case the president needs to pump some iron. It has a kitchen. It has a a hospital in it with the president's blood and a traveling doctor. It is not made of what normal airplanes are made of. It is made of armor-plated metal and bulletproof glass and has all kinds of anti-warfare weapons. It could be a de facto nuclear bomb bunker and has many other uh, objects of warfare that I can't tell you about because they're top secret. It can stay in the air indefinitely. It doesn't have to land. It can refuel in the air, and it is filled with all kinds of secret servicemen and dignitaries that travel with the President of the United States. This is how a president comes in. It's impressive, and it is costly. It costs taxpayers, you and me, $206,000 an hour to fly. That is how a leader comes into town, not on this. This is a donkey. This is Eeyore. Eeyore is not impressive. Eeyore, friend of Piglet, friend of Pooh, friend of Roo. No one is intimidated by a baby donkey, not just a donkey. So, I mean, so, so think about it, a donkey, you know, a horse rides up, you're like, wow. A donkey comes up, my wife is always, she's like, oh, a donkey. You don't, you don't have a donkey to impress people, you, especially a baby donkey. What, where, where are baby, baby donkeys are in petting zoos. Baby donkeys are for baby. Ba Kids love to go to baby donkeys. And this is how Jesus comes into town on a donkey. Why? I believe it's because he was one. You know what? Let's not put that here. Let's put that here during the message. You will never forget this message. So I preach it alongside my accomplice, Eeyore. I, I want to talk to you today about how you can find comfort at Christmas. And it's not through having the, the perfect stockings on the fireplace. It's not through having the lights on the tree. It's not by watching your favorite Christmas movie. All these things are a blessing. But you don't have to have the perfect atmosphere. You don't have to have the perfect setting. You don't have to have the perfect Christmas party. You don't have to have the perfect Christmas music to have comfort because the comfort of Christmas, again, men and women, is a person. And that person is Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord, who was sent to us to bring us true supernatural comfort. It wasn't just a prophecy that the Messiah would come riding on a donkey. It was fulfilled in Matthew chapter 21. I want you to listen to this. It says, as they approached Jerusalem. Now, I am now in the New Testament. And it says, as they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethpage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two 
disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them, and he will send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to daughter Zion, See, your king comes to you gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. It's not that Jesus couldn't find a horse. He actually purposefully, strategically chose a donkey because he was revealing something about his character to us. The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed him. They brought the donkey and the colt and placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. You see, it didn't even have a fancy saddle, an embroidered or a leather or a gem-studded saddle for him to sit on. No, they just threw the disciples who were just this wandering vagabonds, poor fishermen. They throw their cloaks and that is what the king of the universe sat in when they come into town. And a very large crowd spread their cloaks on the ground. Others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds went ahead of him and that followed Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, who is this? The crowd answered, this is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. Point number one today, I always encourage you to write down notes. You can study them further through the week. You'll remember what you write down. Point number one, as we're talking about the comfort of Christmas, find comfort in the fact that Jesus fulfilled countless prophecies. Find comfort that Jesus fulfilled countless prophecies. What does that mean? It means that your faith isn't just wishful thinking. Your faith isn't just a, a little Disney pixie dust. No, your faith is actually anchored in the fact that this book is the most authentically verified book in the history of the earth. And for hundreds of years before Jesus ever came, these prophets, often not even understanding what they were speaking of, were telling about this coming Messiah, this coming ruler of the earth, and how he would come. And people, the problem is people didn't pay enough attention because Jesus didn't come like a normal reigning king. They said, this king who's coming, he's gonna come on a donkey. He's gonna come lowly. He's gonna come humble. So different than how the world expects. And look, here in Matthew, you see all these confirmations. The Messiah was supposed to grow up in Nazareth. The Messiah was supposed to come from Galilee. The Messiah would be in the line of David. The Messiah would come into Jerusalem. The Messiah would ride a donkey, a foal of a donkey. Boom, boom, boom. Hundreds of prophecies Jesus fulfills. You can have comfort that this faith is verified time and time again. Secondly, find comfort when you think about Jesus coming in on a donkey. Find comfort that Jesus, your king, is totally approachable. He is complete. He went to great lengths because you see, a king, a president, not anyone can approach at any time. I mean, you have to have a special appointment. When the president comes into town, he is coming in a massive jet. He is surrounded by secret servicemen. They clear out the area with the local police. It is impossible to, to get to. It is impressive. You don't want to get in front of a massive jumbo jet. But no one is concerned. No one is scared of a baby donkey. 
You see, this is just another evidence of the humility and gentleness of Jesus. The world tries to impress. People are impressed with money. People are impressed with power. People are impressed with fame. People are impressed with sex. That is what the world clamors for. Watch the news. Look at the headlines. Watch social media. This is what people are looking for. And yet Jesus denies himself of each one. He could have had it all. Jesus could have chosen any family to come from, but he doesn't come from a family of money. He comes from a family that's poor. Jesus doesn't come from a famous family. He didn't come from the highest Pharisee family or, or from the king's family or some famous merchant or some famous performer. Instead, he comes from a no-name family in a place called Nazareth, a no-name town. Jesus didn't take on himself the power. He didn't come in as a political leader. He didn't come in as a military leader. He didn't come in as a religious Pharisee in the structures of power. Instead, Jesus comes as a simple carpenter. And lastly, with the, the, the sex, Jesus didn't come as sexy. You look at Isaiah 53, it says he had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing that we should desire him. Jesus came completely approachable. Even the little children could come to him. The lepers could come to him. There was no one that tried to come to Jesus. I want you to look at scripture. No one who ever tried to come to Jesus that he denied. Everyone could approach him. That's your king. And then I continue to look on and I say, find comfort that God loves you and will use you in your weakness. I love that God when he decided to come to town, he didn't choose the most powerful horse. He chose a baby donkey. Why? Because God loves to use the weak things. You know, we, we spend so much time hating our weakness. I, I, I find that we all have weakness, and most people despise our weakness. We try to cover up our weakness. We disdain our weakness as a child. I had really bad allergies and, and, a, and a, a pretty poor immune system. And so I couldn't eat like other kids could eat. And I always had a sore throat, was always sick. And I just despised it because all the normal kids, they got to bring cool lunches to school in their lunchbox. But me, my mom made me avocado sandwiches with Brussels sprouts. Now, actually, that might be cool if you're a San Diego kid. But I grew up in Texas. And so you're supposed to have beef. I was just ahead of my time, right? I was supposed to be here. I love avocados. But that was hard as a kid to have all these, these restrictions and always feel that way. Then I get to my teenage years, and man, more than anything, I wanted to be an athlete. And I, it started out great for me, and then I have this heart problem, and instead of spending my time getting accolades on the court or on the football field, instead, I'm on my back in a hospital, and I despise that weakness. I despise that I had this heart problem that continually laid me up. I find that we despise our weaknesses, and then even as an adult, even as an adult, my, my job is traveling on the world, helping to plant churches, and yet I have this weakness of claustrophobia, and I'm always on planes. That is not fun. And I have insomnia, and I'm constantly changing time zones. But you know what I found? I found that my weaknesses make me desperate for Jesus. I found my weaknesses make me needy for him. I find my weakness, I find when I'm strong, I don't need much, but when I'm weak, I find myself in constant prayer. 
I find myself getting comfort from Jesus. Rejoice in your weakness because in it, God will meet you. Rejoice in your weakness because God says that he will use you in your weakness. In your weakness, he is strong. And when God uses a weak person, then he gets the glory instead of you. The Bible says that he actually doesn't choose the strong. He chooses the weak to shame the strong. He chooses the foolish to confound that which is wise. And then it says, so that no one may boast before him. I love that Jesus chose a donkey because it shows me that Jesus can use any of us in our weakness because I find that most of us don't feel like a thoroughbred steed. We feel more like Eeyore. Thanks for noticing me. <laughs> and God wants to use you in the midst of your weakness. I love the scripture goes on to say this. He will proclaim peace to the nations. He will proclaim peace to the nations. Man, 2020, it's been a tumultuous time in the nations of the world. We've, we've had this pandemic. We've had recession. We've had uh, threats and 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 enmity against from nation to nation. I mean, there's a time, this is a time where we need peace to nations. And then we, we hear of other plagues and we, we hear of genocide. I, I constantly read the, the international news and there's just pain upon pain after pain. But I have seen, as God has blessed me to let me travel the world to bring the gospel, I've seen him bring peace to the nations. I've been in Uganda where there was genocide from the LRA, and I met little children that had actual machete wounds on them. I've been in Sri Lanka after the tsunami that killed a quarter of a million people in Southeast Asia, and I've seen the pain of parents who've lost children and children that are now orphans. I've seen the pain in, in Lebanon because of the war-torn nature of that country, but I've seen God bring peace. I'll never forget being in Beirut, I'm talking to a young man named Muhammad. We had built a friendship, and I'm telling him about the hope he can have in Jesus. And he goes, I need to show you something. And he opens up his jacket, and he pulls out a large pistol. And I am going, oh, no, this is it. This is the end for me. And he puts it down on the table, and I breathe a huge sigh of relief. And he says, I carry this pistol around because I fear that someone will take my life. I live in a violent city, but as you're talking about Jesus, I don't think I need this anymore. That is a true story. He put it down. I've seen Jesus bring peace to the nations. I'll never forget being in Sri Lanka after the tsunami. And we go into a village where numerous people had died. And it was a, a city full of pain and they didn't have the food they needed. And we show up with our relief team and our doctors start working on people and people start praying for people. God starts touching people, but we gather the children and we teach them songs that we sing in church and we started playing with them and they start running around and laughing and, and, and that village elders come up to us afterwards. And they said, for the last two weeks, there has been no singing. There has been no smiling. There has been no laughing. Thank you for bringing joy back to our village. I've seen Jesus bring peace to the nations. I'll never forget going into the, the, the mountain nation of Nepal and being in a tiny village and, and children surrounding us. 
And for them, their religion was appeasing spirits and often being concerned about what the spirits would say in this remote village. And as we start talking to them about Jesus, the God-man who came and actually embraced children, and then we went to pull out these tracks, these little, these little booklets with Jesus and these beautiful Nepalese kids, uh, around them. We got mobbed. They just started running after us. I felt like Justin Bieber or something, just getting, getting mobbed by this crowd because they were so excited to hear that God loves them. And I think about this time two years ago in Bali where we were asked to come and and speak to these children and to, to do our, our drama on the beach. And we were told about these kids that have come down from a village and, and they aren't able to go to their schools because they're in such destitute poverty. And so instead they're sent to this, the, the main city there to sell different objects. But sadly, many of them end up having to sell their own bodies. And as I'm looking at these children, so many of them, you could just tell that they were hardened. Their faces were dirty. They, their souls looked empty. And as we're doing this drama, and it's me and my family, and I, I, I'm playing God, and my, my son's playing man, and as I wrap him up in the end, you just start seeing the light bulbs go off in these kids' eyes. And we talk to them about a God of love, and they're all wanting to pray with us, and you literally see the transformation of their faces as they understand about a God of hope and love who actually wants to restore them and heal them and renew them. It was a celebration that day on the beach. I've seen Jesus bring peace to the nations. But it goes on to say this. It says, his rule will extend from sea to sea, from the river to the ends of the river. You see, Jesus, when he came the first time, he didn't come like anyone would expect him. He didn't come as a ruling and conquering king. He came as a suffering servant to bring an inner peace to our hearts. But I need to tell you that one day he will bring an actual peace to the whole systems of this earth. For the first time in human history, there will be one ruler and it will be our righteous God who loves all. And if you are tired of this pandemic, if you are tired of the racism, if you are tired of the violence, if you are tired of the bickering and the deceit and the pain and the death and the despair and the genocide, I want to tell you it's all going to come to an end when he he returns and sets up his eternal throne on earth. Hallelujah. His rule will extend throughout the whole earth, and it will be one of righteousness. There will be no wrongdoing. There will be no more tyranny, no more oppression. There will be peace, and he will wipe away every tear, and he will heal every disease. Look at this next verse. It says, as for you, because of the blood of my covenant with you, I will free your prisoners from the waterless pit. Thousands of years, hundreds of years before Jesus came, Zechariah was prophesying that there would be a blood covenant. And that blood covenant, when Jesus shed his blood, he called it the new covenant. You see, the wages of sin is death. There has to be a death to pay 
for sin and transgressions. And Zechariah was prophesying that a Messiah would pay that with a blood covenant and then save us from the waterless pit. What is the waterless pit? That is known as hell, a place where the fires never go out, a place reserved for Satan and his demons and for those who hate and oppose the living God. Now, on my worst days, on my days where I look at my bank account and I go, ah, on days where my health is not good, on days where my relationships are painful, on days when I look at the news and I go, I don't want to be on this planet anymore. Can anyone give me an amen this year? <laughs> where you're like, I don't, this is what I find great comfort in. I look at this scripture and I say, but at least I'm not going to hell. I mean, that's really good news. Hell bad, heaven good. I don't know about you, but I deserve hell. Actually, I do know about you. Um, the Bible says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We all deserve to go to hell because of our sin. We've all broken his perfect laws. And so on my worst day, I go, but praise God, I'm not getting what I deserve because I'm not good enough to work myself into heaven. But it's by Jesus' blood, when he was pierced on that cross, when his side was pierced, when he suffered that excruciatingly painful death, he was taking in his body my sin, your sin, the sin of the world. The, the Bible says he himself bore our sin, he, sins in his body on the cross so that we could die to sin and live for righteousness by his wounds. We are healed. So when Jesus died on the cross, he paid the price so that you don't have to spend eternity in hell. And that is great news. And we've got to remind ourselves of that, that this world is not the end for you, that you're going to spend eternity in the new heavens and new earth with Jesus. Let me finish with this. I look at this last phrase. I don't know if you've seen this before, but it says this. Return to your fortress, you prisoners of hope. Return to your fortress, you prisoners of hope. I've talked to many people that said in 2020, they felt locked up. I mean, we've, we've been having these lockdowns, right? We felt like a, a, a prisoner. We, well, I can't leave my home. I can't, I, it's like I don't have my freedoms anymore. I can't go and watch a movie when I want anymore. I mean, at times we've been like, can I even go take a walk? Can I, I, I feel like a prisoner. But I want to tell you that actually you're a prisoner of hope. You are a prisoner to hope because hope is a person. And that person is Jesus. When Jesus comes into your life, hope enters into your heart. And you know what? You can't run away from Jesus. He stays with you. The Bible says in Psalm 139, where can I go from his presence if I go to the other side of the earth? I've done it, by the way. I've gone to the exact opposite side of the earth of San Diego. And guess what? Jesus was still there with me. You can't outrun him. I mean, the, the, the Roman soldiers, they didn't want him. That government, they tried to kill him. But Jesus showed up in Jerusalem anyway. The Pharisees, the, the teachers of the law, they didn't like him because he kept showing grace and accepting people that broke those standards. But he came anyway. You know, they even crucified him on the cross. They killed him. 
but you couldn't get rid of him. He showed back up. He rose from the dead. The disciples were in an upper room with the door locked so that no one could get in. And guess what? Jesus still showed up. You're a prisoner of hope. Wherever you go, he's coming after you because he loves you. He promises I'll never leave you or forsake you. So this season where you feel like you're a prisoner, remember, actually, I'm a prisoner of hope. I can't get away from it. There's hope for my future. There's hope for forgiveness for sin. There's hope in the midst of my sickness. There's hope in the midst of my broken relationships. And ultimately, there's a much greater hope because this world, as I know it, is not the end for me. I'm going to the place of ultimate hope to be with Jesus forever. And that is great news. And in that, we find comfort. Will you stand up with me? Would you close your eyes as we pray? And I pray that you'd receive the true comfort of Christmas. Lord, you reveal yourself in Scripture as the God of hope. And I am asking for every woman, for every man, for every person from every background that's gathered under this tent or listening online, that they would know the great God of comfort, the great God of hope. And just like I did in the other services, I don't wanna just talk about Jesus. I don't wanna just talk about how he can forgive your sins, how he can enter your life. I wanna give you a chance to do that today. If you'd all close your eyes with me, and if you today say, I need to make sure that Jesus is living in my heart. I wanna make him my savior. I need to make him my Lord. I wanna invite him in my heart. Or you're saying, you know what? I walked away from him, but today, I know I need to come back. I want you to pray this prayer right after me. You can just pray these words in the privacy of your heart right after me. Just say, Jesus, I need you. Come and save me. I repent of my sins. I thank you for dying on the cross for me. Thank you for rising from the dead for me. Fill me with your Holy Spirit and help me to walk with you forever. Thank you for loving me. And now with every eye closed, I just want to pray for you. I'm not going to point you out, but I want to pray for you if you're making that decision to ask Jesus in your life or you're coming back to him today. Just all over this tent, if you're praying that prayer with me, we just wave at me real quick. Just wave your hand and wave at me. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Who else? Just wave at me. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Anyone else? Just wave at me. Let me see you. Awesome. Thank you so much back there. Father, we just thank you so much. Thank you up here as well. Lord, we thank you that you are entering into people's lives today, that they are finding forgiveness, that they are finding true hope, and that hope is a person, and that person is Jesus. And we thank you that you're removing our sins from us, and that you're writing our names in your book in heaven, and we will spend eternity with you. We give you great praise. Let's celebrate, church, what Jesus is doing as he's entering into people's lives and giving us new